When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No, man. I believe you get your ass kicked saying something like that, man. Warnings are for coffee and contemplation. Coffee and contemplation. Drink the coffee, it'll make you feel better. Sir, do you realize that you're not drinking regular coffee, but Colombian decaffeinated coffee crystal? What? Picks you up, calms you down, it's the lifeblood that drives the dreams of champions. Now he's been down in the basement drinking coffee for about the last four hours, and he should be all ready to go. I'll, I'll call him up. Welcome to College Football Monday, brought to you by McCoy's Auto Repair in Radford, Virginia. If you're watching on YouTube, you will see that I have a co-host. If you're listening, I'm going to have a couple different guests today, but my first one is Robert Irby from the Sons of Saturday. Rob, how you doing, man? Doing well, man. Just glad to be here. Um, <laughs> to be able to be on the same podcast that Roger Road Raj was on at one point <laughs> is probably the greatest honor of my life. Yeah, dude, I... I was so excited when he responded to me and that was right after the Syracuse game. So he had come to Virginia tech. If you guys haven't listened to the episode to as part of his road trip, it was like his 26th or 27th game of the year, which is crazy. Uh, and that was back in mid October. And we talked about his trip. We talked about the Hokies. It was a lot of fun, but, uh, but yeah, man, I'm excited to have you on. We haven't had a podcast together since last February when we were talking some basketball, but tonight we're going to get into everything that's been going on in college football since the regular season ended. We're getting ready for bowl season now, and there's still a bunch of stuff going on with, uh, with at Merriman in terms of Blacksburg and people visiting and portal seasons opened up. So we're going to get to all of it and we're going to do hokey stuff very soon here in a second. But I did want to start with just a little Heisman talk because the Heisman was last night Jaden Daniels from LSU won. That's the second LSU quarterback in the last three, four three. years now. Yeah. And yeah, uh, that's kind of crazy. I saw someone tweeted out like during the Les Miles era, I think it was Bill Connolly. Like you would have never thought two LSU quarterbacks would have won in like a five year span, but, but that's where we are. No, I mean, they were winning natties with Matt Flynn as their quarterback, you right. know? Uh, but second place was Penix on the ballot. And as it was leading up to it, a lot of people were talking about Penix and the possibility of him winning. And, you know, I, I, the more I thought about it, I was like, he might actually have a shot. And then when the votes came out, it was closer than I thought it would be. Is that what you thought? Yeah. You know, I, it's kind of that age old question of, do you take the guy with the insane stats or do you take the guy who's, you know, has good stats and his team is in the playoff? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think in the case of years like Joe Burrow, you know, that's a guy that it was both. Um, but no, I think that they made the right choice, but I definitely think that if you were going to pick that like best quarterback on the best team guy, then Penix probably would have been the top option there, especially with him getting the edge over Bo Nix. Yeah. So I, if you look at what he did and the 13 and 0 and beating a fellow Heisman contender twice, once on a neutral field, and I think over the season, they might have beaten like five or six ranked teams, depending on if you're looking at ranked at the time or ranked at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. But what a spectacular season for Penix. And uh, he would have been a worthy winner had he won. But it, it was Jaden Daniels and his stats were outrageous. And thinking back to his Arizona State days to where he is now, like it is so drastically different. And all of the talk about stat padding, I think, is a little bit of BS because they all stat pad. Yeah. 
especially if you looked at the beginning of Washington's year, they were lighting up some really bad teams for, you know, five, six touchdowns and tons and tons of yards. And then Penix kind of cooled off, but he stated stat padded his stats early and Daniels might've done it a little bit more late. Yeah. And now I'll be honest. I watched that LSU game week 12 against, uh, I believe they were playing Texas A&M and they knew they were going to win the game. So, you know, they're running read options and he's pulling it every single time. And, you know, (laughs) uh, the running backs had wide open lanes that were not utilized, but yeah, early in that game, I think the, then the, because I was watching some of that. The announcers were complimenting him on he's like, he's just trying to get the win. He see him, he handed it off there, running back right, right into the end zone. Later in that game, it changed right. up. <laughs> yeah, I think there was one possession where there was like they were like first and goal from the three yard line. He ran it like three straight times, got stuffed, and then handed it off on fourth down, and the kid walked in. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're gonna have uh, an addition to this team talking about this in a second, but I wanted to to bring up the Hokies attrition and their portal stuff that's been going on because right now in the college calendar for coaches, it is an absolute nightmare. What, especially if you're a bowl team, like we are this year, you've got bowl prep and bowl practice. You've got portal visitors. You're trying to finish up your recruiting class for early signing day, which is in just a couple weeks from now. It is absolutely preposterous. The amount of stuff that's been going on and that these coaches have to deal with, they need to me, they got to move something, whether it's portal or uh, the the signing day, the new signing day. Like it was always in February for for years and years. And I right. realized they were trying to let these kids kind of end their recruiting early so they didn't have to put up with all this through the holidays. Right. But this is just, it's so crazy. I don't know how these coaches can get anything done. And I'm, I'm not feeling bad for them because most of them are making multi-millions of dollars. But it still is just, it seems like the calendar's too clogged. And I think it's hurting bowl season a bit. Yeah, I think bowl season is definitely the biggest loser in all of this because, I mean, you look around and you look around at these bowl games and it's like 0% of these teams are full strength um, besides mm-hmm. the ones playing in the playoff. And like, that's that's just the nature of it. And now, especially when you're opening the door for kids to leave right before these games, then, you know, it, it's naturally going to water it down quite a bit. Yeah, and someone said to me, well, if they moved the portal opening until January 2nd or whatever it was that might interfere with kids getting enrolled at a new school, but a lot of the kids aren't changing schools till the, to the summer anyway. So like, I don't know how much of an effect that would have. And I don't know, there's a lot of different things they could do to improve like people just not opting out. And one thing that I do think will help with kids not opting out is having a 12 team playoff. Because that's 12 teams that, in theory, have a chance at the national title. So you would think that those teams, there will be opt-outs from playoff teams. I, I I don't know if we've seen it yet with the four-team, but we will see it with the 12-team. But I think it would be far less than a team playing in a bowl that, in theory, doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, yeah, you see a handful. I know, like, Alabama has, like, a a couple, like, you know, third string players that have already opted out and entered the portal, but those guys weren't going to be consequential anyway. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I'm a proud expansionist right here. I have been <laughs> from the very beginning. So, uh, it's 12 too many teams maybe, but it sure beats the heck out of four. So it, I'm very it sure does. I'm, I'm very excited about the 12 team playoff. And I think the thing I like about it the most, and I've said this when I've talked to Billy in the past, is just those home games on campuses four playoff games are going to be awesome. I mean, we've been watching the FCS playoffs, something we're going to cover in this episode, and how cool it is to have a playoff game on a home campus. And I can't wait for that to be part of the FBS. 
Yeah, I just hope we get one in Blacksburg. The dream. <laughs> hey, 2024, man. It's coming. Hey, <laughs> let's let's, let's do it. Bringing everybody back. Fingers crossed. Not coming yeah, let's, and that's what we're going to talk about right now. And first, we'll start with who we're losing to graduation and who has no more eligibility left. And that's Mario Kendricks, Pollard, and Payne, our three stalwarts on the defensive line who played most of our snaps. Uh, Nazir Peoples, Tisdale, Cole Beck. Colbeck era is finally coming to an end. Matt Johnson and long snapper Justin Pollock. Those are the guys who are out of eligibility. And before I get to who's coming back, let's add our third guest here. Sam Jesse, what's going on, buddy? There he is. I am. Uh, it's It's been a day. Browns <laughs> been a, a nail biter against the Jags looking like playoffs. But yeah, man, guys, how are you guys doing? We're doing great. We're doing great. Yeah, that Browns defense was looking good earlier today. Sam, do me a favor on the graphic. It's kind of blocking your head. You want to, can you adjust your camera? There you go. Perfect. Um, want to make sure we get that face in there. So who's coming back for the Hokies? Me and, and Rob were just talking about some of the attrition that we're going through. And I, I said, who's leaving, who's out of eligibility. But we got a great announcement last week that APR is coming back. And then we heard a little bit after that, that Josh Fuga is coming back. So that's two key guys on the defensive line. And with those three senior defensive tackles that were losing, both of those were music to my ears. We needed those guys back badly. Yeah, AP, APR is the number one guy. Anytime you have a, a elite pass rusher, defensive end, that's one of the most valuable positions in football. So bringing that guy back, and then you're also bringing back you know, Cole Nelson with him. That's uh, pretty big for the Hokies. Fuga is is the senior leader presence. And I think there was a real danger for the defensive front seven next year. You lose Tisdale, you lose Payne, could have lost Fuga, you lose Kendricks. Like that's a lot of senior leadership you're losing. Maybe not as much production. Uh, you know, Fuga didn't have barely any production this year, but you get the senior leadership. I think that's bigger than than anything for the Hokies. So uh, it's good to have, and also just a body, man. I mean, that's a, that's a position that you need six or seven guys who can play in the year. So just keeping Fuga really helps uh, the numbers game for the tech roster. Was that your take as well, Rob? Yeah, I think that, yeah, especially the body part. I mean, Fuga, you know, like you just need someone who's been there before and has been on the team and to, to lose your entire two deep at defensive tackle would have been truly a nightmare. Um, mm -hmm. and I think APR coming back is huge. I think for the development of Cole Nelson and, and, uh, Keyshawn Burgos and CJ McCray and those, <clears throat> those other guys who will line up on the opposite side, rushing from the edge. Like you saw APR's production slow down as the year went along, but that was because, you know, he became the guy and now he's garnering the focus. And then you saw Cole Nelson and Keyshawn Burgos, you saw their production go up. And so, you know. To create that balance where, you know, defenses now have to factor to the guys coming around both sides, like that's that's huge. And uh, I, I don't know if Cole Nelson and Burgos and those guys would have been able to do that next year without APR drawing that no, attention. I, th I think you're right. And Robbie was talking about that very same thing and, and how exciting it'll be if one of those guys either emerges further to show that he's a true pass rusher or we add another defensive lineman who can get pressure on the quarterback and how helpful that would be to APR and vice versa. And so that just, you can't even, we couldn't have had a better guy coming back. I mean, D line is so vitally important that APR coming back was just the number one guy. I feel like that we need of all these guys I'm about to name, and I'll just go through them now who still have an extra year because of COVID Dorian strong Jenkins, 
Jennings, Felton, Gosnell, Lane, Gallo, Frady, and Wells. All those guys, Dorian Strong, things seem to be progressing maybe in a positive direction towards getting him back on this team. But I still think number one is that pass rusher off the edge APR. So, but who who of those guys other than Strong? Because I think, Sam, we talked a little bit about him when we were watching the Boston College game and just how good his stats were. Who do you want back the most of Jenkins, Jennings, Felton, Gusnell, Lane? I think I can push like Gallo, Frady, and Wells a little bit off to the side. I love those guys, but in terms of just who's most important to come. Well, I was going to say Grant Wells, but <laughs> you need a backup quarterback. <laughs> Let's not sleep on Gallo. I mean, he's the run blocking tight end that this team kind of missed in the first half of the season. And with the loss of Daquan Wright, um, if you're replacing, you know, Daquan White with a fifth, sixth year senior, whatever he is at this point, who can block really well, knows the offense, and the guys like him. That's there's worse things. So don't sleep on Nick Gallo coming back. But fair enough. Uh, man, the way that Felton and Jenkins can and Jennings, excuse me, can stretch the field. Uh, I I think for this offense, that's really really key. And we saw how bad the offense was without a player like that. So having two of those guys potentially coming back would be huge. But if I had to name one guy, I I think it would be Jenkins. Tech is just a much better team when he's playing and he's healthy. He's really improved year over year. And I think if he has a good off season, he's a potential NFL guy if he stays another year. So I think if I had to choose one out of that group, it would probably be him. But there's a, I mean, gosh, this, well, we can start lying. It's a lot. It's a lot of names. It's a lot of good names. Rob, who would you say? You know, I actually think that the guy I most want to see come back is actually Ollie Jennings. Um, And I know we really only got one game from him. He was electric in that game. Um, and he does have that deep play threat ability that like Felton and Lane also have. But what Jennings brings to the table, at least in theory, is that he is just good at getting open. Um, not just on the deep balls, but on the underneath, in the middle. And I think when you're looking at a quarterback like Drones, where that's probably where he needs to develop the most is those intermediate throws, um, which I think you could say about most college quarterbacks, to be honest. They're all really good at throwing the deep ball and a swing pass. Um, but can they hit plays in the middle of the field? And Jennings Jennings is a quarterback's best friend when it comes to that kind of play. And to have him there, I think, would, would mean the world to Kyron Drones. I, I completely agree with you, Rob, because I think Kyron is actually better at some of those intermediate throws than down the field throws. Uh, just looking at some of and, – and Sam, maybe you can correct me on some of the stats, but anecdotally from watching him, He's not a supremely accurate deep ball thrower, but he can zip the ball into some of those slant patterns and out patterns that we've seen go for long gains after the catch. Yeah, and the one thing with drones I will say is for a young quarterback especially, he's he does throw the ball away a, a good amount. And a lot of times where other guys will they'll throw the ball in the ground, they'll throw it just over a guy's head to the sidelines. Drones just throws it 10 yards past everyone and says, okay, it's either an arm punt or we get a big play. And so that's, I, I think, might skew his, his numbers a bit. I don't have them in front of me, but that's my guess. Uh, yeah, I think when you have veteran wide receivers, one, you kind of limit the, you know, the boneheaded plays, which is maybe more important in college, but also just the momentum of the team bringing those guys back. I, I yeah. think is a, it's an immeasurable that Virginia Tech hasn't really had lately. Uh, they haven't had a slew of guys coming back. We all know the 2017 team, like 
all of like we had losing Evans, losing Ford, losing Bucky Hodges. That yeah, that that really hurt. And I think since then it seems like every single year Tech loses the guys instead of keeping them. We saw how well it worked out for NC State this year. I mean, they kept all of their COVID year players. They kept a ton of seniors, and it might result in a ten win season. Yeah. Yeah, and even and that was despite losing Drake Thomas and a handful of other guys that were really important to that team. They still had junior and seniors up and down that roster. The Jenkins thing, I also agree with Sam. Like Jenkins was really important to this team, and he wasn't fully healthy for a, a large part of the season. He sat down in a couple games, had to go out of a couple games. But if we can get strong back, one of Felton and Jennings, if we got both, that would be spectacular. And on the human side of this, the way Jennings' season ended, we, we never – got to see him for a full year and see what he can really do in this offense and how much more special this season could have been if we had him. Well, I want to see that story end. And so give me one of those Felton or Jennings, Strong, Jenkins. I love Stephen Gosnell too. Like Gosnell had some really key first downs for us throughout the season. So if you could keep Lane and him, like all four of these wide receivers, It'd be awesome. Now, one of the issues that we'll run up against and I want to talk about is scholarships. And everyone wants to hit the portal hard for these offensive linemen and the defensive linemen and maybe a middle linebacker. But if all the guys came back that could come back, there's not enough scholarships. Like that That's the problem. We have 15 guys waiting to be freshmen next year. I'm only seeing about 72 to 74 scholarships available if everybody came back. So – it, it's going to be a tough numbers game, but I think we'll see when the second semester starts, there's always a second wave, correct? Yeah, we're going to see a large handful of players leave after spring ball this year. I, I think I think you're going to see 8, 9, 10, potentially. Um, I, I expect if Tech brings in two or three offensive linemen, they're going to lose two or three offensive linemen. If they bring in a defensive tackle, they might lose a defensive tackle. It's it's a very give and take game. Rarely do you just take from the portal. Um, and I think there's quite frankly some position groups that they'd be okay with some turnover at. Like I don't, it, you know, switching out three or four offensive linemen I think would be ideal for Virginia Tech this year. So they're going to lose some guys. Um, it's just the nature of the beast. Yeah. What positions would you say, Rob? That we we would be willing to swap out a couple guys or maybe take away from this position to add to this position. Yeah, I don't want to come across too mean, but <laughs> yeah, that's that's fine. You can just um, keep it broad. You know, I think a position group is that star position group, which is literally one player on the field, and we have like five guys like recruited to that position, and I'm like, hey, you're not going to play all five of them ever. Um, you need at most three. Um, so I think some attrition there would be good. Um, I think the offensive line, like Sam said, yeah, there's just some guys there where it just, it just hasn't clicked. And, and you can blame that on like coaching the fact that they've had three offensive line coaches in three years and they all have different styles and call different plays and, and, you know, teach different techniques and it just hasn't clicked. And I think that they, that whole position group could use a fresh start, um, Trying to think where else. I think corner we can afford to lose. I don't want to lose the Strongs and Delanes and those types of players, but we can afford it because we've recruited that position really well. Like Dante Lovett and Braylon Johnson, those kids are going to be studs at Tech. Um, yeah. And there's even more kids coming in the class behind them. So, 
yeah, didn't we take, I think we had five or six DBs last year that we took out of high school. And so maybe all those guys don't stick around. And then wide receiver, if you happen to bring back these four veteran wideouts, some of those younger guys like might not make it because we brought in another, I want to say we brought in four or five wide receivers in last year's class. Yeah, you brought in Aiden Green, and, and we saw him play. And quite frankly, that's probably why you saw Lofton hit the portal. You saw Aiden Green come in and get some of those snaps through the end of the year. Um, but some of the Tech's best recruits coming in for next year are wide receivers. Like You got Keelan Adams, Virginia Beach guy, who looks like a, a guy who yeah. is day one. Uh, so if you bring him in, you feel really good about that. Then you bring back your top three wide receiver. I mean, if you bring back Felton, Lane, and Gosnell only – Okay, now you have three, four wide receivers. This team doesn't throw the ball that much. Uh, it's a 50-50 split offense. There's only so many targets to go around. Oh, yeah, and you do have Benji Gosnell at tight end as well, who uh, they're going to continue to target. So Yeah, that's a good point. And, 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 that's, and I didn't really think about the running aspect of this, but you're right. We are not air raid offense here. We're, there's only so many targets to go around and that could factor into someone like a Jennings or a lane in their decision to come back to this team. Just in that, not that they didn't have a good year, but part of the reason Felton had such a good year was because Jennings wasn't here anymore. He was hurt. And so you go down the list of the wide receivers. We we've seen XTB play. We've seen Aiden green, as you just mentioned, and of course the veterans, but what does the future hold for a chance Fitzgerald or a Marcel Baylor? Maybe they take a look around and they say after spring, you know what? I don't see it here. You know, and I'm not I'm not trying to say that those guys specifically. I'm spitballing, but this is what happens with an 85 man roster. There, you have to finagle your way around based on experience and who you have left, and see where we need to add add depth desperately. And I'm looking at the defensive tackle position, and I'm looking at the a true middle linebacker, and we need those guys. <laughs> like we we need some more bodies there because. Although Penne played snaps and was the defensive tackle for us, uh, who's behind him? Like Malachi Madison, Gunnar Givens? Like, we haven't seen those guys very much. Like, So uh, we need to add some DTs here. Yeah, and, and looking at just the, the receptions for the Hokies this year, uh, you only had five guys over 20 receptions on the year, and one of them was your running back, Basial Toon. The other one was Daquan Wright. He was third in the team in receptions at 28. He's gone as well. So – there, there is some, you know, you're losing uh, 28 receptions is a good amount, but, you know, guys who we think had pretty good year, Tucker Holloway only had five receptions, you know, um, you know, Ollie Jennings obviously only had five, Lofton only had six receptions, uh, even Felton getting 38 and Lane getting 37, that's not a very big number. So there's just not a ton of passing volume to go around. So if Tech loses their number four, number five wide receiver, it you know, it probably doesn't change the results on the field too much. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the guys that left, because when you talked about the run game and how important it'll be for us, it, that you kind of hit me over the side of the head because I hadn't really thought about that. But losing Bryce Duke and losing Chance Black, who entered the portal this past week and maybe the week before, I think some of us are OK with that because we didn't know if it would ever turn out great for Chance Black here, and, and Duke has shown some promise, but if we have Malachi and Tootin in front of him, well, well, after those guys are gone, like who's going to be playing running back? And if one of those guys were to go down, or Tootin doesn't come back, or Malachi doesn't come back, this running back room is going to be way different next year. And so now all of a sudden, 
despite being okay with those guys wanting to move on and, and find more playing time somewhere else, I'm a little bit nervous about that position if we don't get Tootin back. <laughs> Rob? I mean, yeah, Tootin was the whole <laughs> it was the whole offense at points last year. Um, I mean, I, I don't think we win six games and go to a bowl game without Basial Tootin on the team. Um, I think the season looks a lot different without him there. Um, I think, you know, Kyron Drones and and Tootin were collectively the most valuable players, arguably, on the whole team. Um, and Malachi Thomas is a, is a solid back that's had, you know, a pretty injury-ridden career at Tech. But, you know, I, I think he's a solid, like, secondary option. But I think that he's not a bell cow um, the way that Tootin is. And so, yeah, if you're going to lose Tootin, you got to find somebody to replace him. Um, yeah. And I don't yeah, know I, I think if they're that really was trying Bryce to Duke bring or Chance back. Black either, you know? It's a very good point. I mean, in terms of body type and running style, Duke would seem more of the Tootin type, but no one on this roster is Bashal Tootin. And so we really, really want to bring him back. I'm... I, I know that I know the coaching staff really wants to bring him back. And I think they're trying to, to work on the various things they need to do to bring him back. I'm sure he's testing the waters in terms of getting an evaluation from the NFL and waiting on that. I know Dorian's probably doing the same, but if we want to go through the other guys that are, are leaving in the portal, Daquan Wright announced first Duke uh, black, who I mentioned Lofton, Derek Canteen and Johnny Dixon from the offensive line. Of those guys, I'm assuming, Sam, that Canteen was the one that surprised you the most. Yeah, that was the one that I thought was a little weird. First off, he just transferred into Virginia Tech. Um, he played a lot of football, played a lot of really good football. Um, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes, football, non-football, so things happen. Uh, that was the only one that really surprised me. Everyone else made total sense and was probably the best move. Like I, Bryce Duke, uh, I, I never really saw him being a, a even in the three deep for this team, to be honest. Like they really like Jeremiah Coney, the freshman from Hermitage High School in Richmond. They're bringing in, I think it's Tyler Mason. Is it, I know Mason's the one. Oh yeah. It is Tyler. I, I love that kid. <laughs> yeah. He's a, he's a top 700 recruit. Um, believe won a state championship down in Georgia. They really like him. So like, and you have a running quarterback. You're definitely bringing back Malachi Thomas. I think you bring back Basial Tootin. Uh, there's just, again, there's not a ton of carries to go around, so you're going to lose Duke. Chance Black just didn't really see the field this year. You know, I it's that's just kind of the nature of the beast. I think Virginia Tech feels good about the running backs they're bringing in. Uh, Coney, we didn't see much this year because of injury. Hopefully, well, I know we'll talk about the bowl game, but hopefully we see him in the bowl game a good bit. Yeah, I would love to see Coney and see what he can do because they've been talking about him ever since he was an early enrollee. So he was at winter workouts, correct? He, he was a day one. We like this guy. Yeah, and yeah. he wasn't that highly recruited out of out of Richmond. So yeah, they, hadn't they flipped him from App State? Flipped him from App State. Yeah, yeah. So that that's exciting to get Coney maybe playing in the bowl game and next year say. You know, we're, we're losing some depth pieces, so he's going to have opportunity for carries. And if the offense is improved next year from the get-go because of the way we finished the year and the offensive line is improved, well, maybe, Sam, there is more carries to go around. Maybe there are more offensive snaps for wide receivers to get catches, and you can sell the fact that in the beta ranking, like this Virginia Tech offense was pretty potent, especially down the stretch. And so I'm hoping that there's more carries to go around for some of these people. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll also notice that I've got the portal prospects for the Hokies. 
Colby Crawford from 247 has been keeping a running list of the offers that are out there, as well as our portal entries. And both of the, the sheets on the screen that I have pulled up in the graphic are from him. And if you look at this prospect list that the Hokies are going after in the portal, there are 27 guys on the list. And th this probably doesn't include other offers that either Colby doesn't know about or haven't been entered yet. But of the 27, 15 are offensive linemen, five are defensive linemen, three are inside linebackers, three are corners, and one is a running back. And so I, can't, I think that kind of tells you what our coaches are going after in this portal season. They want offensive linemen. And do you think, Rob, that, uh, that that's what they should absolutely be bringing in first? In terms of if you have a, a number one pick for any, say it's the same level of player across any position, is offensive line where you want to go first? Oh, yeah. No question about it. Um, I think the problem, is, though, is that uh, there really are just like a handful of teams that have been the most active with the transfer portal. Like you see, like every kid has been offered by like Colorado, Kentucky, Louisville and Ole Miss I've, and Virginia Tech, I feel like are like the big five right now. <laughs> and all five of those teams want offensive linemen. Um, yeah. Like you can see the two red highlighted names on that list are kids that have already committed elsewhere. Both of those kids are committed to Colorado. Um, and when it comes to us out recruiting Deion Sanders for offensive linemen, I don't, I, you know, I don't see it, but it's, it's important to try, I guess. Yeah, it is important to try. And the fact of going up against Colorado right now, despite the way they ended their season, you're right. It's a losing proposition. They, they have money flowing into their coffers due, due to coach prime and, He's got to protect Shador. So he he knows it's a priority, as you said. So we lose out on, what is it, Mayers and, and Johnson. But I know we had the Mizzou transfer on campus this weekend. I believe we had the middle linebacker, Alex Howard, on campus this weekend. And then Aeneas Peoples just tweeted out a couple hours ago, not Peoples, Peebles from Duke, that he is um, pinned down in in Turkey territory. So according to his Twitter, so go birds, people go birds. Peebles is someone I would love to get. I, I want him. I, I want that defensive tackle position. I think for me personally, more than I want an offensive lineman. I, I want both to be clear, but I think we need a difference making DT and that would just change our defense immensely. And so, and, and people's is that if you ask me, yeah, he, he's very good. Got all ACC consideration this year. Uh, he, he's been one of the big parts of that defense's success over the last couple of years. But I think you see Virginia Tech was really early on a few of these guys. Joey Slackman, uh, the guy out of UPenn, uh, I think Virginia Tech was one of the first Power 5 schools to offer him when he hit the portal. Yeah. Uh, our guy, Indiana offensive lineman Carter Smith, uh, he was a four-star um, coming out of high school. Tech really, really would like to get him. They've had him on campus. I believe Kyron Drones has been doing some social media recruiting. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I believe they have offered him. Um, it, it says here that there's no offer. I, I believe they have offered him. Okay. So, um, there, there are some guys on there that I think Tech was really early on, which is a good thing. But, um, you know, there's, there's, a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of portal time left. And, of course, the spring semester um, is, is huge as well. I have to say, just looking at this list and the fact that we have 15 offers at minimum out to offensive linemen, uh, and I guess some of these aren't offered, but I, I just, I don't really understand that. But that's beside the point. 
Crook clearly values going after offensive linemen in the portal more so than Joe Rudolph because this time last year, wasn't Joe Rudolph still our offensive line coach? And he was offering absolutely zero kids in the transfer portal. <laughs> right. So. Like, I know that Joe Rudolph is Joe Rudolph, and he got the Notre Dame job, and the, he's a good coach. But for what we needed and the, the evaluation of who was on campus, I don't know if he had a seven-year build, like <laughs> thinking about the offensive line or what, but I'm happy to see the approach that Crook is doing. And just by the fact that we're not going to have, knock on wood, a th- different offensive line coach next year and we can build on how this line improved this year. I am so excited about that. Virginia Tech actually finished in the top half of the country in line yards gained, which is, it it sounds really dumb, but it's basically the amount of yardage. No, I love that stat. (laughs) um, From your offensive line push. Uh, Tech was one of the worst teams in the country after the first few weeks of the season, they ended up top half. So there's a real, real improvement from Virginia Tech this season. So that continues on to the off season, that continues during next season, you're gonna feel okay about the offensive line. Long way to go though, a long way to go. <laughs> a long way to go, but we managed to do some smoke and mirrors and hide a lot of our deficiencies from the pit game on, especially against the weaker competition as we're all, all well aware. Do you guys have any last notes on the portal or do you wanna move on to military bowl? You good? Military right. bowl. All right, let's do it. Uh, and this is going to be not so much a matchup uh, deep preview for the military bowl, but more of just an overall thought on their coaching changes and their player changes. And we'll start with Willie Fritz because he got hired by Houston. And I think Willie Fitz, Fritz is a tremendous coach and he'll probably do pretty well down there. But he's also taking a bunch of coaches with him. And I think uh, it's, his, it's the OC, it's the DC, it's the D-line coach, it's the wide receiver coach. And they're all headed down there. I don't know who's going to be coaching for Tulane in this bowl game. <laughs> and there have been conflicting reports about whether they're going to coach in the game or not, too. So it might not be set in stone. Okay. So at first, I think the tweet, those guys that I just read off, I thought McMurphy said they would not. But then someone said that someone they said, oh, wait, no, they might. Okay. Um, well, regardless, Sam, you had a tweet this past couple of days about the players. Tell us about what's going on with some of their players that aren't going to be in the bowl. Yeah. I, first off, this happens to a lot of teams. Um, and, and to be quite honest, if we were to look at this game two or three weeks ago, our preview would be very, very different. But yeah, Tulane's going to be missing some guys. They're losing two of their starting defensive tackles that combined for nine and a half sacks, I believe. Top corner, gone. Top wide receiver, gone. Um, Pratt's going to play. He's the kind of guy who like wants to play in this game. You think so? I, yeah, this is his last game at Tulane. He's either transferring or going to NFL. He's going to play in this game. Okay. Um, okay. But yeah, I mean, they're, when well, you're, he better because two of their quarterbacks are already in the portal. <laughs> he has to play. Well. And when, when you're losing your top pass catcher, almost a thousand yard wide receiver, when you're losing two of your starting defensive linemen, getting ready to play a run first team, and then you're also, I mean, it's it, it's a lot. And I think we've, as Virginia Tech fans, we've seen this type of operation. For <laughs> we a, sure have. It's not fun. No, it, it's not fun. And I'm I'm just been thinking about the bowl game, Rob. And and it would be nice to be on the other side of the pinstripe disaster, right? <laughs> like, do you feel? And I was kind of wondering if Pratt would play because to me, if I'm seeing this and I'm seeing some guys that 
it gets to a point that if too many guys transfer, you could get yourself hurt in this game. Like, and I know like that's a little bit of like over, over cautious. They're college kids. A lot of them don't think like that, but if he has an NFL future, he might be thinking like that. And I'm still holding out hope that he won't play. And some people would say, no, we want to face the best. We want, no, I want a bowl win. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that, Rob? Yeah, no, I, I just want to win the football game. I don't <laughs> care. I don't care who's playing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I do feel like if Pratt was going to opt out, he probably would have done so by now because, you know, they are they are going through their bowl preparation with whatever coaches are left in the building. Um, and maybe that's the part that, that makes me nervous. It's not only Pratt playing, but also their running back. Um, name is escaping me and I don't have it pulled up, but he's a true freshman. He's a true freshman that ran for... Makai Hughes. Yes, he ran yeah. for like, like 1,600 yards or something crazy like that. Um, no, it wasn't that many. It was, but it was over a thousand. Yeah, Thirteen hundred, um, pretty close. Thirteen hundred yards. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot for a freshman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he's a stud, and I mean, they have two guys. Their best two players are still playing, and that makes me nervous. Um, but I do think that that pinstripe bowl comparison is, is probably the closest, just with it flipped around, um, because I think that like whether Tootin or Felton or any of those guys choose to leave they've all made it clear that their intentions are to play in the bowl game. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know we'll get one more, uh, one more. Which is awesome because yeah. part of the problem with that pinstripe bowl was that Braxton Burmeister announces he was entering the transfer portal. I'm pretty sure he said he wanted to play in the bowl game Yeah, and Fuente or JC, well, or I don't know. Fuente. Who, <laughs> I, yeah. Well, you're right. Fuente was gone at that point. Can't blame that one on him, but they didn't let him or there was some yeah. kind of issue with, something yeah, eligibility know. wise I said I mean, they played a tight end to quarterback so <laughs> right I mean, we had to play Plumrick playing most of that game it that was one of the few major college football games I've ever watched where I think there was a player safety issue <laughs> it, was yeah. it was worse than the COVID games it so, was horrible right. I, I don't think Tulane will be that depleted by any means. I think more it's just like a mental thing. All of this change yeah. is happening. Your position coaches are dealing with moves. Uh, you're you're losing guys left and right. It's it just mentally, Tulane is not in a good place to, to prepare for this game. Yeah. Yes, and that would make it all the more frustrating to lose. On top of the fact, I know Tulane had a lot of wins this year, but if you looked at them down the stretch, they were struggling with all of their players. Like they barely beat an ECU team. The best game they played was that UTSA game and, and they won it. But I thought they would put up a better game in the championship game against SMU and SMU with their backup quarterback took it to them. And so I don't think this Tulane team has been playing that well anyway. So to me, this is, this is a game Virginia Tech should win. And you look at the guys they are losing now. We absolutely should win. The line has moved to seven and a half. That's what I saw earlier. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'd seen even eight at one point. Okay. We might, right. might get to eight and a half. I would not be surprised. We got. I mean, we got what's today's date? Until like the ninth or tenth. We got over two weeks. Yeah. This yeah. is moved to eight and a half, nine and a half. It's yeah, going to so, be a home game for Virginia Tech too. Right. It's in Annapolis. There will be a lot of Hokies in attendance. I'm hoping to go. It's kind of a game time decision. Either you guys plan on heading to the game. No, I'm a good uh, six and a half to seven hours away from Annapolis, so oh, down here in at? Charlotte. So, oh Charlotte, okay, okay. You were rooting for Duke's Mayo Bowl. I was. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta say, 
I'm really happy Tech made a bowl game, right? And I don't care what bowl it is. However, a 2 p.m. on a Wednesday time slot does kind of put you in your place. It's not, it's not great. It's not, <laughs> it's not great. And I'm not going to complain about it because I will take off the hours from work or I'll flex them or do whatever I have to do to make sure I'm watching the game in person or I'm watching it in front of a TV. But no, it's it's not great. And And the fact that all of these ACC bowl games are so many of them, Chris Coleman was complaining about this, are in the Northeast. It, it's so annoying. Like, why why does the Gasparilla Bowl so far down on the totem pole, and that's, like, the Tampa Bowl? That's a, a Florida Bowl game. Like, that's a game I would want rather go to, I think. It's literally the Pirate Bowl. Like, it's amazing. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but anyway, I'm happy to be in the bowl. That's kind of, do you guys have any other notes on military bowl? I was kind of, kind of move on. Go ahead, Sam. Um, my, my one thing would be Tulane's issue against SMU, part of their issue against UTSA and other teams, uh, Ole Miss, especially, they're not a great pass defense that even for an American team, they have struggled. They're 82nd in the country in, in EPA per drop back. And they just lost their starting cornerback. Their their best defensive player, probably our best defensive secondary player. Yeah, so it, in terms of strategy for Virginia Tech, I know you want to run the ball a lot, but there's going to be open guys to, to throw the ball to in this game. That's what I like to hear. And as long as we get a couple of those guys we were talking about to make sure they're committed to the Hokies still and going to be in the bowl, like I'm, I'm feeling great about the matchup on the field. And like <laughs> Rob was saying, like, I just want to win. I just want to win because no one is going to look back on this game in the record books and say, oh, but Tulane had all these guys that opted out. They lost their coach. No, they're going to see Virginia Tech whip Tulane's butt. And that's what I want to do. And so uh, we'll look forward to the Military Bowl. Rob and I will be doing our full preview at some point in the next two weeks on the bowl game. We didn't want to do it too early for this very reason. You don't know who, which team's, which team's going to have which players. And so we'll do that as soon as we can. And we'll get that to you before Christmas. Before we get into FCS playoffs, some Army-Navy talk, coaching carousel, I wanted to tell you that College Football Monday is brought to you by McCoy's Auto Repair in Radford. Who doesn't love supporting a local family-owned operating business? I know I do. I know the two guys that I'm talking to do too. McCoy's offers major and minor repairs. They can do just about anything with a car. They can rebuild your engine. They can rebuild your transmission, diesel repair, fleet service. They can do it all, and they also sell tires. So make sure you go there. Get all set up for the winter with some fresh tires at McCoy's. And they also have that drop-off and pickup service if you just can't get to the shop with work. So head to McCoy's for all of your auto repair, vehicle maintenance needs, or give them a call. The number's right on the screen, 540-639-2933. And it's also an extremely easy find on Facebook. Just type McCoy's auto repair into the search bar. They'll pop right up. Just like that old hokey buddy of yours, McCoy's is a name you can trust. I wanted to just talk. We love local (laughs) businesses, but we love them even more in Radford, Virginia, my hometown. Who just got a big win. (laughs) Just won their first state football championship in 51 years. Go Bobcats, baby. (laughs) Yes, I'm sure McCoy's is uh, big fans of of that win the Bobcats just got. I want to talk to you guys a little bit about the national portal notes. This will be quick. We'll do coaching carousel. Then I want to talk about Army-Navy. Dylan Gabriel in the portal, one of the best quarterbacks in college football this year, seems as if he's heading to Oregon. I noticed that wasn't um, finalized depending on which portal place you look, but it seems like it's pretty much a done deal. 
I've been, we've been hearing his name since Scott Frost was at UCF. Like, when is this guy going to graduate? Yeah, I, I literally, I had the same thought with a friend I was talking to him. It's like, how does Dylan Gabriel have eligibility left? And then realized that Dylan Gabriel literally started every game since he was a true freshman. Or I think maybe he came in in relief in his, the very first game of McKenzie his career. Milton. Yeah. When Mackenzie Milton got hurt. <laughs> yes. And, and Dylan Gabriel's just run with it ever since that was pre COVID. That, that's, that's just insane. But yeah, he's heading to Oregon and that team, uh, you, Bo Nix was awesome. He was a Heisman candidate, but could they be better with Dylan Gabriel? <laughs> they might. It depends on the receiving options. It depends on everyone that Oregon's getting back, but it's definitely an intriguing addition for Dan Lanning. Other QBs in the portal, Grayson McCall, Coastal, uh, Ward from Wazoo, DJU, Rourke from Ohio, McLeod from JMU, Howard from K-State, TVD from Miami, and Daquan Finn, Pat's cousin from Toledo. These are all some top-notch quarterbacks. I'm I'm kind of glad we don't have to go out after a quarterback this year like we did last year in the portal. But, man, Curtis Rourke, he's going to make someone very happy this year. So is Daquan Finn. That guy's good too. I the numbers are shocking. Like it's almost I think it's almost eighty. So if like if one each team has one starting quarterback, like over eighty percent of the possible starting quarterback jobs are in the portal. Mm-hmm. It is it's baffling. But I the one thing I will say, and I put out a Twitter thread about this when people started freaking out when when McCord, Gabriel McCord Ward all those guys went. All of those guys have a pretty good reason to look for other opportunities. I mean, Kyle McCord probably not going to start next year at Ohio State and is losing his best wide receiver. Dylan Gabriel, his OC left for a new job. Cam Ward not playing Power 5 football anymore. Uh, Then you look, uh, Dante Moore from UCLA was, I think, the number one quarterback recruit when he came to UCLA. That place is a dumpster fire coaching-wise right now. Chip Kelly probably only has one more year. Riley Leonard, his coach, leaves. Grayson McCall, uh, he needs to go somewhere else because Coastal Carolina is not going to get it done for him if he wants to be an NFL guy. Tyler Van Dyke, probably not going to be the starter next year. Will Howard, probably not going to be the starter next year. Will Rogers, uh, his coach, obviously the whole Mike Leach uh, situation very sadly happened. He needs a new step. He would have a new. There's so coach. many, man. And like, then they, you, his coach yeah. left, and he's not playing Power Five football anymore. Why would he stay? So, like, yes, it sucks as a fan to see all these guys moving, but also it's like any one of us would probably enter the job market if these things happened. I mean, it's it's NBA free agency. Like yeah. you know when like July hits and all the NBA free agents are out there, and it's like, oh, this team's getting this guy, this guy, like. I know they've called it free agency, but like with the quarterbacks, it reminds me of like that NBA feeding frenzy. Like it's absolutely wild the names that are moving around. Cause I named a bunch of good guys and I missed McCord. I missed, you know, like there's so, there's so many. Yeah. Um, and I mean, if you look at even the Heisman ceremony last night, like three of the four finalists were transfer quarterbacks. Yeah. And then you go even further down the list. Jordan Travis is a transfer quarterback too. That's four of the top five Heisman voters. S- Seven of the last eight Heisman winners are transfers. Really? And and it's funny too because it it there for as many success stories as there are, think about your Phil Jerkoviches. Think about um all the guys in the ACC. So many Devin Leary's. Like Devin Leary never had it so good as when he was in that first year at, at NC State. I mean, 
Grant Wells was our <laughs> guy at Marshall. <laughs> he was. He for a gajillion yards with a good team around him. It is very important it for your quarterback to move to a place that you know that you're going to succeed in the system, which is hard to know. Wide receivers and O-line. Like, like Grant Wells went somewhere, and, it, and it's it, it's not really his fault. Like, he had a lot of ties to Virginia Tech. Um, the O-line was no good. Like, and, and maybe the O-line coach wasn't the perfect fit for what we were trying to do last year, and it just didn't work out. In another world, on another team, Grant Wells might have been to, able to really excel. But uh, that's that's the thing. It is – the grass isn't greener, and it's really like a roulette spin for a lot of these guys, whether it's going to hit. I don't want to spend – no, we're probably right. Yeah, we, we got to move this along. Uh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I think Bachmeyer failing his way to a power five starting quarterback job is – Hilarious. Pulls all recruit out of high school, goes to Boise State, loses the starting job, goes to Louisiana Tech, loses the starting job, hits the portal again, and all of a sudden he's the number one guy at Wake Forest. Yeah. Why why does Wake having to settle for Hank Bachmeyer? And maybe it's a depth piece. You know, we don't know. Other guys, I mean I, and Bachmeyer showed like ability early on in his career, but like he hasn't really shown it in a while. And so it's that is not a doesn't seem like a P5. He has never been a P5. Can't make that make sense. I no. Can't. No. Um, did you have any final notes on the portal at large, Rob? Um, all I would say is that I'm just very glad to not be in this position where we are looking for a quarterback, like you said. Like I have a, I have a good buddy who's a, a Louisville grad, diehard Louisville fan, and he's having to talk himself into Tyler Shuck. No. And that's just, that's just <laughs> tragic. I'm just so glad we don't have to do anything like that. That cannot be Brahms' final answer. Like I, I know Tyler Show or whatever his name is was a very high recruit back in like 2018. He's been around a long time, and I don't recall ever really seeing him play much, and so. I feel like Brom has to have another trick up his sleeve. Just just knowing his his propensity for developing quarterbacks and and being an offensive guy. But I hope that's all they got. But we'll we'll we'll, we'll see about that. Coaching carousel real quick. Willie Fritz to Houston. Tulane hires Troy head coach John Sumrall, which to me that's an excellent hire for Tulane, considering the weakness that the AAC is starting to show. Like you could argue the Sun Belt's a better conference on more solid footing than the American. Yep. And yet this guy jumps partially. The job is just better. Like I think the Tulane job being in New Orleans and not in Alabama uh, for your personal life is probably significantly better. But Troy has been a really good football program. So um, good get by Tulane on that one. Manny Diaz hired by Duke. Uh, we can talk about this one just a little bit because it relates to us, but that's from the ACC connections, the, um, Mac Brown and him are now rivals. Like that's kind of funny because he was Max DC at one point. Um, the Miami and Duke thing, like it's fascinating. Do you think that is a good hire for Duke? Rob, I'll ask you first. I like it for Duke personally. Um, I know some might, and I, I get it. And you know, the most likely possibility is probably that he just ends up being Elko 2.0 and he does really well there for a couple of years and then just bolts somewhere else. Um, but I thought that honestly, the leash for him at Miami was far too short. Um, you know, you think about it, he only had three seasons there and it was smack dab in the middle of COVID. Um, and so, I, you know, I don't know if he really got the opportunity to properly, you know, make that program into what 
he wanted it to be, but then Mario Cristobal came available and they just hopped on the opportunity. Um, so I think he could do really well there. I'm looking forward to those Miami and Duke games with Cristobal and Diaz. Like that, that could be, that could be really fascinating. Did you have any notes on that, Sam? Or are you good? Okay. Uh, um, no, that's <laughs> such a weird relationship. It's going to be very interesting to see how long he stays at Duke. My it's guess, going to be hard for anyone to have the success that Elko had in a short period of time. Although this year didn't end well because of the Riley injury or whatever, but Duke is now they've somehow they've managed to not be killed in the portal. That may change with the coaching change this time around. Cause the first time around when, when Elko came in, no one thought any of Duke's players were any good. Well, that has changed. And so people are, we've got peoples on our campus right now. <laughs> like, so there, that that's going to be interesting for Diaz to deal with. I do think he's a good coach and I do agree with Rob that the leash was too short at Miami. Uh, but they lost to what was it FIU or somebody or like they lost a couple of those games that you know you might have not been able to lose. But no, he had for, some bad losses. <laughs> uh, yeah, he definitely did. Uh, Derek Mason is hired by MTSU. I think that's good for he worked at Vanderbilt. Jay Salville promoted at Wyoming at Sam's University after Craig Bull retires. I didn't oh, know he was getting ready to retire. Uh, he's been a coach for a long time. He's been okay. in for like twelve years now. Yeah, he, was, he was the OG North Dakota State coach. That's right. That's right. And we're going to talk about FCS in a second and some of the success that they've had over the years. JMU hired Bob Chesney from Holy Cross. Seems like a good hire for the Dukes. They're probably going to keep rolling. And Bronco Mendenhall hired by New Mexico. So now we're getting Jared Kill and Bronco in the same state. Like, what a what a coup for the state of New Mexico football-wise. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. The Mountain West is going to be a really interesting conference next year. Uh, New Mexico State's in Conference USA, but um, Sean Bronco Lewis, will make that team good. Like he, eventually, they'll, they'll they'll win some games. Like I don't know how good they'll be, but they'll win some games. Um, San Diego State getting Sean Lewis is a sneaky good hire. I mean, it is that recruiting base with that coach. Uh, watch out! That that'll be a fun one. I agree. We I think. Um, me and Robbie talked about that maybe last week when it happened, and he had a raw deal from Dion, kind of getting demoted. But there's an opportunity in LA right now, especially with UCLA being on a little bit of shaky ground. USC not having the success maybe they instantly expected. Um, there's an opportunity for Sean Lewis, Army Navy guys. I'm hoping you got a chance to watch some of it, but it was a beautiful aesthetic, simple uniforms this year. Very simple, just the, the blue and the tan, but I thought it looked really good on TV. The CBS broadcast always does a really good job with their aesthetics and, and the TV cameras and all. But this game was as service academy as it gets. Like it was ugly. I called it at the end. Like this was straight up tush push football for three hours. <laughs> was that your take on it, Rob? Yeah, and people want to ban the tush push. Get out of here. Um, not trying to get you fired up, Pete, but <laughs> as a Eagles fan, um, about made him spit out his beer on that yeah, one. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, it was a fun game, but it was an ugly, like, beat em up, smash em up kind of game. Right. And probably the worst beat of all time if you had the. Oh, under. yeah. Like, that is unbelievable. Yeah, the safety at the end of the game, and I'll talk a little bit about the game and then we'll, we'll kind of recap it, but the over under going into the game was it was 29 and a half early in the week. It dropped to, I want to say, 27 and a half, and maybe even continued to drop. Uh, it hit 
28 points due to a safety at the end of the game just to kill the clock, which I didn't even think they really needed to do that. But Navy couldn't find any offense in this game for a really long time. It was, did he get to 17 to nothing? Or I know it was 10 to nothing, but at one point they finally got some signs of life. They got a lucky bounce or a lucky break on that bounce that looked like it hit off the Navy player's foot on the punt. They didn't overturn it. Navy got the ball. They scored three. Then there was a scoop and score. That's what it was. So it was 17 to three army after the scoop and score. I thought it was over to Navy's credit. They took the ball down the field after a few positive plays scored. They, they go for two based on the analytics. They miss it. It's 17 to nine. There's a minute and 20 left. They have the ball in their own 27. Damned if they don't go 72 yards and get it down to the one right at the end of the game, they can't get in army takes over and then the safety happens, but man, it, it delivered. Army Navy, it took a while. It took about 48 minutes of game time, but the game delivered, and I thought it was uh, it was a really fun watch. Why, Sam, maybe you could tell me this. Why do you go for two? I know Dougie P did this with the Eagles a handful of times. Like, you're down 14. It's a fourth quarter. Why are you going for two after the first touchdown? So the math is... If you are like, I believe teams on two point conversions are between like 55 and 60% historically, some teams are a lot better. So if you're saying like, let's say we're 60% and we have, we are going to have to score two touchdowns and we're 60%. Well, that means we're probably going to get at least one and we don't have a terrible chance of getting, uh, you know, one of them make the extra point. Now you win the game, miss it. Then you have another 60% chance, right? Because they're independent events right so it mathematically like it you have a better chance of winning also i believe there are some stats this might be more nfl than college but teams who make a comeback to tie the game don't win in overtime as much Mm. um, especially if you're a road team so there is there is that as well the odds of you scoring three consecutive touchdowns on a team are are really low especially at the nfl level so if you can somehow get two you're going to want the game to end that is that is fascinating and a great explanation. Thank you for that. Yes. Both QBs overall in this game, uh, their stats were terrible. You know service academy quarterbacks tend to not be throwers, and these guys were not. Terrible passer ratings, horrible QBRs, but it still managed to be a fun game. 259 yards of offense for Army, 309 for Navy in a losing effort. I, uh, I don't have a, a lot else. Was there any other reaction or anything from this game? Because we do want to move on to FCS playoffs, but I also noted that uh, – Next year, Army-Navy is in Washington, D.C. at FedEx Field. And no, I hate FedEx. It is the worst stadium. But I did text Billy and Pat that we may just have to do like a son's gathering at Army-Navy because I've never been to Army-Navy. I haven't either. I would be there. But I will say just another (laughs) example of modern United States not supporting the veterans making them play at FedEx Field. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's been in Philly so many times. They played in Baltimore a few times, but now they're doing this tour because it was just in Boston, FedEx next year, Baltimore, then the Meadowlands, and then Philly, not until 2027. And so uh, they're kind of doing an East Coast tour. At least they're keeping it East Coast to make it, in theory, easy for the guys to get there. Although it would be nice to send all those those troops over to like San Diego and play it on an aircraft carrier or something. That would be well, it won't cool. be cold and snowy. And I think that's part of the aesthetic of this yeah. game is it's usually a cold, potentially snowy game. One of my favorite memories was, I want to say like 2017 when it snowed. Oh, and right. I think 
uniforms. Yes, the white uniforms for Army. That was so cool. What a, what a, and that Army that year was the year Army might have broken the streak that year, or they had a, a very good year because for a while Navy was running mm-hmm. running this rivalry. But uh, we'll move on, and we don't call it uh, FBS Monday. It is called College Football Monday, and so we're going to talk a little bit about the FCS playoffs right now. Uh, and I will not. We won't belabor it, but I think there are some cool observations. And I've got the graphic up on the screen right now. This is the FCS playoff bracket. Hopefully, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see some of the icons. Now, the semis are not filled in because they just happened, and I couldn't get a graphic that was updated enough. But that's okay because we're going to give you the results in one second. But I, I did notice that the of the final eight teams that were left in the FCS playoffs, tremendous mascot names names that no fbs teams have you got the jackrabbits the grizzlies the paladins the bison the great danes of albany the coyotes and the vandals i don't believe there's any fbs teams with any of those mascot names the only one was villanova which is the wildcats uh go wildcats from the simpsons but yeah, what incredible, like the Paladins, you're not going to find a Paladin just about anywhere else. So very cool names. I love the Jackrabbits and heading into this playoff, the Jackrabbits last year's champions from South Dakota State, heavy favorites, number one team in the country. And they prevailed over Villanova 23 to 12. They were like 21 point favorites. And that game never really got a ton of separation. I, I don't think anyone thought Nova was going to win, but it was definitely close throughout. Sam, I want to ask you about that Montana game because you watched a good bit of Montana against Furman, and that game went to overtime. One of the best, one of the best games I've seen all year, easily top three. One of the best games I've watched in terms of entertainment in a that's up there with for me, like in my games. The atmosphere was incredible. There were big plays by both teams, crazy plays by both teams. Uh, Montana has a opening kickoff they return for a touchdown and then their late game winning touch or not game winning touchdown but the the one that ended up putting them back in the lead in the fourth quarter great punt return touchdown uh i mean the game had everything it had turnovers two really good defenses played in that game Furman just has a lot of dudes a lot of those players playing for Furman played in lane stadium uh when Virginia <laughs> Tech Furman that's up. funny they have they have old guys like they're not on their parents insurance anymore (laughs) so what a game what an atmosphere uh there were players on both of those teams that could play power five football i there's no doubt in my mind Uh, montana has a defensive tackle that like just was dominating the interior of the game the entire time uh great game i'm really excited for the semis this weekend yeah and a lot of people don't realize that about fcs football Whenever we have an FCS team on our schedule, I go to make sure that they're not in the top 25 of FCS. Because if they are, there's a chance that they could give you a game. These teams, while not you know full talent rosters as far as FBS goes, they can compete. And someone was saying, I was looking at like, might have been Bill Connolly or somebody else, but like South Dakota State could be like in the top 25 of FBS this year. That's how good their power ranking is. And so these these teams are for real. And I mentioned they won. Uh, you just said Montana beat Furman 35-28 to 28 in overtime. The other two games, we had North Dakota State crushing South Dakota. And that was a home game for the Coyotes. And North Dakota State just whipped them 45-17. to 17. And I'm pretty sure earlier in the year, 
South Dakota had beaten the Bison. And so what a what a great way to pay them back for North Dakota State. They continue this crazy run they've been on since about 2010-2011. And then the final game, did I get them all? Oh, mm-hmm. Albany beating Idaho late last night. Poffenberger, <laughs> incredible name for a quarterback, throws a touchdown in the fourth quarter, uh, making it three on the day for him, 341 yards. They beat Idaho in the Kibbe Dome. And if you ever played – NCAA football, you play a lot of your games in the Kibbe Dome. <laughs> uh, tough place to play, weird place to play. It's like Castle Coliseum if you put a football stadium in it. Um, but yeah, great win for Albany. They gave Marshall earlier this year. I was looking at the scores. I'm like, oh, Marshall must suck. Albany almost beat them. Albany's good. Albany's really good. Yeah, these games are going to be awesome. And and I just, you know, I watched a little bit of the Albany-Idaho game and one, the Kibbe Dome was looking great. Albany had to just – they looked really smooth on offense. So I think that's going to be really interesting because South Dakota State did not look great for most of that game against Villanova. So um, they've been good all year, but you got to – this is when it matters. Like this is the beauty of this like a real playoff is you get teams who get hot. North Dakota State's really hot. Um, you know, Albany I'm going to ask you hot. guys – both of you guys, and and listen, none of us are super well-versed in FCS football, but I'm going to ask you for just championship prediction in one second. I wanted to just give the listeners a little bit of macro information on FCS quickly as we, as we move towards our favorite FBS bowl games. Montana was number two in the rankings going into the playoffs. South Dakota was three. Idaho was four. Um, and NDSU was all the way down at seven, despite the fact that they've won nine titles uh, in the past 12 years. Their last one was in 2021. Montana, Montana has two titles. Their last one wasn't since 2001. And they had made the playoffs like every year from the mid nineties to 2011. Think VT's window of success. That was when Montana was absolutely dominating FCS football. Now they didn't win the title numbers that North Dakota state won, but they were in the playoffs and they played for championships a ton with a coach named Bobby Hawk. Well, back in 2019 or 2018, they rehired Bobby Hawk, and he has them back in the playoffs, I want to say four out of five years, and now Montana has a legit shot to be like the champs. And it's so cool that they like they decided to go back to an old coach, and he came back, and now he's having success there. I just thought that was a really cool story I wanted to share with the listeners. Yeah, and Furman's coach, I believe he had been either playing or coaching at Furman for like 30 years. Oh my uh, God. <laughs> it's it's different. It's I mean and there are so many of these stories throughout FCS. Mm-hmm. It's it's really it's a different level of football, but the cool thing about it is the guys that coach there, like they tend to stay there and kind of stay at that level. Like the Sam Houston State coach, uh what's his name? Keeley or um whatever. He won the title a couple years ago. He was the Delaware coach back in 2003 when Delaware won the FCS title. And so like these, it's kind of funny that not all these guys always upgrade. They just upgrade within the FCS or bounce around and then end up back in the FCS. But San Diego state, who is the heavy favorites this year, won their only title last year against North Dakota state. That was North Dakota state's only loss in a championship game. North Dakota State is 9-1 when they make the championship game. So that is something to watch, although the loss was recent, so that could be a trend. Early in the year, South Dakota State beat North Dakota State 
33-16 to on November 4th. And so they've already beaten them once this year. Can they do it again? Since 2011, there have been only three FCS champs not named North Dakota State. One of them was JMU 2016, Sam Houston a couple years ago, and South Dakota State last year. So this is still the Bison's world. And until they don't, like, it's only been one year between championships. They didn't win it last year. So technically, North Dakota State should win it again. We'll see. They looked really good this past weekend. What are your championship game picks? I think I'm going to go with uh, the Montana Grizzlies over South Dakota State in the championship. I'm riding the bandwagon. You can see I've got the stadium behind me. Um, I've got my Yellowstone hat on. (laughs) Nice, Um, nice. It's not coming into focus, but you may say, hey, Missoula, Montana is four hours away from the Yellowstone entrance and 90% of Yellowstone is in Wyoming. I don't care. It's close (laughs) enough. Go Grizzlies. That was Sam's trivia question earlier this year or earlier this week. He was asking us what's the farthest like place from a a public highway in the United States. Yeah, that, that is uh, the furthest place from a road in the United States is in Yellowstone. I as well am on the Grizz. This is going to be a really tough matchup. I believe they're underdogs in this game, like plus one, plus one and a half. Yeah, they're playing North Dakota State. Yeah, playing North Dakota State. I think the home field, they've been really good at like special teams and turnovers. I just think it's going to continue. They didn't play very well last week offensively, and they still managed to score uh, 28 points in four quarters against one of, if not the best defenses in uh, FCS football and Furman. And then South Dakota State is probably the best team in the country by a significant margin. I think South Dakota State probably wins this whole thing. Uh, They had their one bad game that they've had all year against Villanova, and they still won it by multiple scores. So uh, the Jackrabbits over the Grizz in the title game, but it's going to be really fun. I highly recommend people tune in to watch this. It is really fun football. I think that game is the Sunday before the national championship game for FBS. I think it's Sunday is FCS and then Monday is FBS. But let's move to our our bowl games that we are excited to watch. And then I'm going to let Rob go because I know he's got to bounce. Here are some of our ranked bowl matchups on the screen. There are 10 bowl games that are between ranked teams. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can see them. Rob, I'll ask you first. What are some bowls? And you can take the semis. If you want to talk about the semis, feel free. But I was kind of more thinking things that were outside. What bowls are you most excited to watch, looking forward to the most? I think the uh, the one that excites me the most is the Citrus Bowl because I think you've never seen a greater conflicting uh, set of styles. Um, is this <laughs> like I just don't understand how this is going to play out. Like you're talking about all defense versus all offense. Yeah, this is Iowa against Tennessee, if you're listening. And it's on the screen, uh, 17 versus 21, but I'm with you, man. I had this down as one of my funniest (laughs) matchups. Yeah, the total is either going to be 40 or 14. I don't know which. Um, And then besides that, you know, looking at the ranked matchups here, I'm interested in the Cotton Bowl with Ohio State and Missouri. You know, Missouri's a team that's overachieved this year. Ohio State, you know, they're they're probably going to have some opt-outs, but they're by far more talented. And it, it'll kind of show, is Missouri really ready to compete in the SEC or were they just the benefit of, you know, maybe some other teams having down years? We'll see. Yeah, that's that's a good one. How about you, Sam? I, I think the Cotton Bowl is a great one because without Kyle McCord, Marvin Harrison, I, who knows if he's going to play. Uh, Travion Henderson, who knows if he's going to play. So it, 
there's a good shot Ohio State really struggles to score in this game against a really good Missouri defense. And, and with Schrader running back for Missouri, who I think finished like sixth or seventh in the Heisman. Um, the, Mizzou's a darn good team. That's going to be a really good game. I think the Peach Bowl will be really interesting because those are two teams. I don't see them really any sort of opt-out or anything. Like I had they, the Peach Bowl written down. Yeah. These are their – like some of these teams didn't really meet their goals, right? Like Oklahoma – you, you want to win national titles. Ohio State, you want to win national titles. Georgia, Florida State, my gosh, that's a mess. Uh, but Penn State will miss. Like a New Year's Six title, like a New Year's Six bowl win is, is your goal for the year. Those teams are going to go all out. I really like that one. The Pop-Tarts Bowl, I think, will be interesting. Yes. Uh, I, I like Pop-Tarts. I haven't had them in a long time. Now, the blueberry is my favorite flavor, in case you were wondering. <laughs> Um, I like the cinnamon. I think the cinnamon brown sugar is my favorite flavor, but I, I'm a strawberry guy too, but yeah, I, I respect I, blueberry. I think that's going to be a randomly fun. S'mores. Those are two teams that can play really, that love to play close games. Yeah, and NC I, State against Kansas State. Then And they've, they've prided the Pop-Tarts Bowl this year on having an edible mascot. And I don't know what they mean by that. If it's just like, Tom Fernelli's been asking, like, is it just a one Pop-Tart with eyes on it? Or is it like a pastry that they've made into a costume? I I, <laughs> I want to know. But that game, I, I actually think that could be a really fun game. Uh, a couple ones I liked were the Alamo Bowl. You'll see it on the screen. Oklahoma against Arizona. I think that could be awesome. Obviously, Dylan Gabriel is bouncing. But I love Noah Fafita this year. I love the story of Arizona. And so I just think that regardless – of who's playing in that game. That's going to be really entertaining. Alamo bowls have a way of being really entertaining. Uh, it's, it's always on that, that fast surface and, and could be really fun. Uh, you mentioned the peach bowl, Hawaii bowl, coastal against San Jose state, kind of like a, a sickos kind of game, maybe a little bit like San Jose state kind of got screwed out of the mountain West championship game. Maybe some people thought they were worthy of that. They're a good team. Coastal losing Grace McCall, who knows what they'll look like, but I just thought that matchup's kind of fun. L.A. Bowl, UCLA against Boise State at SoFi. That is going to be weird and probably very empty. But if you ever wanted to go check out SoFi and you live in L.A., like probably could find some cheap tickets and check out Boise State going up against Chip Kelly. And then finally, the Gator Bowl, uh, Clemson against Kentucky. That, I think, could be a smash-mouth game a game that Clemson should win. It's a better matchup for Clemson, but I, I like the color war in that game. And I just think it's a kind of a fun Gator bowl there. There was a super funny game. And I know you talked about the Iowa game, Rob, but like Oregon and Liberty, that's objectively funny to me. I just think that's really weird, but the LSU against Wisconsin, do you guys find that humorous? Like Jaden Daniels going up against that, like very boring Wisconsin team. Uh, yeah, it's probably Nussmeyer if we're being honest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't just neighbors play. Does Malik neighbors play in that game? Like, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. You're probably right. Like, I just when I see LSU Wisconsin, like, oh wow, that could be like a Smash Mouth fun game. You think in like the last like ten years of college football, but this year, if I just saw them play on the field, it's like that's that's just a hilarious matchup to me. And then uniform game. Yeah, yeah, great, great uniform game. Another good uniform game. Same color combination. Utah against Northwestern. 
Now, Utah, if they didn't have both of their quarterbacks in the portal, Barnes and Johnson, that could be a decimation. I... But but uh that's gonna be that's gonna be an interesting game. That's the Las Vegas Bowl, Utah and Northwestern. What does how, did Northwestern won six games? Seven. Like I know. What I, I, I gave my hats off to him last week on CFB Monday because what an impressive, impressive year for Northwestern. But we don't have to – I know Rob's got to go, and we, we don't need to go into uh, too much more about uh, Rutgers and Miami and the pinstripe bowl because that's an equally awesome. ugly game. But uh, thank Arizona you, guys. What's that? Arizona Bowl. Uh, Craig Bowl's last game with oh. Hawaii. Um, they're going to try to win that game. They lost the same one in overtime last year. Toledo will – I don't know if Taquan Finn's going to play for Toledo or not. So that'll be a fun game, two very contrasting styles. No, I love no Toledo and Wyoming. If they were full strength, that would be freaking awesome. Yeah, that would be awesome. Anyway, thank you both for joining me. We covered a lot of ground, had a lot of good conversations, and uh, hopefully we'll be talking again soon. We've got some stuff planned coming up, but uh, I will be in touch with both of you guys about about various things. But thanks for joining us on College Football Monday. Make sure you subscribe to the Sons of Saturday YouTube channel, like the video, uh, rate and review on all your Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever. And until next time, go Hokies.